0: Take your bra? Or has that been here?
1: No, I just oh. took my bra. Oh, off. I was like, did your dogs bring a bra up here? <laughs> no. Thanks for um, our first blooper. Yes. I oh did shit. Take my bra is <laughs> off. <laughs> off and my the <laughs> button on my pants is undone. I check this out, <laughs> <up. Yeah. laughs> I thought you were still delivering the Joining me for episode three of audiobook by the author for The Red Disease, book one of the Cerulean Blue series. So, today is the first time that I have a guest on the show. It is my number one fan and my cousin, Francis Jenkins. Hi! Hi. Um, so, thanks so much for doing all this work because, oh, yeah. um, like you said, it's a lot harder to read aloud. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> in high school panicking over when it's going to be your turn. <laughs> Except it's all your turn. It's all <laughs> your turn. Exactly. Um, okay, so you're my first mm-hmm. guest ever. It's your first time on the show, clearly. Um, so why don't you talk about it a little bit about uh, your experience reading this book.
0: Well, I became glued to this book after, probably after the second chapter. Okay. Because that, th- Because it jumps around. Right, and I really kept me intrigued and always going like, well, what happened to them? I have to go back. No, okay, keep going forward. Okay, well, now what's going on here? Where's that? What happened to them? And like, just kept me going forward and going forward. I mean, it's good for people with ADD. It, yeah. <laughs> but the storyline too is like how it started was I don't know the right word, like
1: just an experience. That's great. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have any uh, characters that you feel attached to so far, or definitely Vanelle? Okay, great.
0: Definitely, especially as having an older brother. Sure. And families that like go through hard times. Sure. As you know my life, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but definitely Vanelle with, with her her curiosity with things and her hope, but also like her strength of making it through things like like she did in the first chapter with the tree and the broken mm-hmm. rib
1: and you know just kept going and holding on for dear life and like surviving that's beautiful mm-hmm. and also it's like it's so amazing for me to hear things that like I'm not sure if they come across the way that I want them to mm-hmm. um actually reaching people in the way that it was intended so yeah. that's ever wanted for putting this out here is um this kind of response I was told myself it was just like one person that I whose like life would be affected by it mm-hmm. then I'd be happy and I have achieved that so thank you of
0: course I mean and I think it's fair to say that it does reach a lot of people as us just going to lunch and my friend asking are you with her well how long do I have to wait and this and that like and my sister-in-law who's also like how long do I have like we're just waiting for more and begging for more and
1: <laughs> really love Vanelle and all all characters. No, oh, I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, and like, I feel like you kind of brought them into the fold of it all, too. So. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. The first chapter that has the flood happening and Ken uh, told from Vanelle's point of view takes place 12 years before the rest of the book. However, chapter two has nothing to do with Asher Vanell. it jumps to Ronick's story. However, at the end of the chapter, it does mention Jet Keanio, their father, uh, as being one of the founders of the Insurgo, which is the rebellion against the Riddals. It mentions him retiring from that position as commander, moving to kin, and having two kids. And it is assumed that him and his whole family are deceased at this point. That is the belief held by everybody at the Insurgo. So we know that is fully not true mm-hmm. because they survive at the end of chapter one and chapter three is told from Vanelle's point of view. Okay, and with that, here is chapter three, Ghosts of Kin, read by Francis
0: Jenkins. Chapter three, Ghosts of Ken. June 1849. Ken it seemed impossible for those days to move to Vanell's memory instead of remaining forever intact at the forefront of her mind. They could not be pushed away, much less forgotten. The colors, the sounds, all the vivid details refused to fade. Since then, everything appeared gray to her. Nothing was alive, nothing could feel, and nothing moved except some rubble that would catch in the wind. Ken was always deathly silent except for the ghostly echoes that haunted it when night fell. To Vanel, her life was simply gray. It had been 12 years since the royal army had quarantined then extinguished Kin, yet nothing had changed since its destruction. There was no rebirth in this cycle. Nothing grew from the ruins, nor did any animal seek shelter within its broken walls. Nothing returned to the city except for the Kionios. The flood had carried the thousands of corpses left in the city to the vast ocean. The great crystalline wall of the city had been destroyed while many of the shorter buildings within the city had remained intact if something taller hadn't collapsed upon it. The Kionyos returned to the pick the bones of kin after the water receded a few weeks following the flood. They found most of what they needed to survive from what had been left behind by their deceased friends and neighbors. They had managed to tend a small garden for years to help feed themselves, but lately harvest had been meager, and ash was forced to hunt deeper and deeper within the saltwoods. Ash was consumed by his dreams of revenge. Vanell could only watch as the hatred continued to eat away at his heart over the years. She knew that he was still intent on killing the king, as if it would set everything back to the way it was. They would never discuss his plot, nor would either sibling mention anything about what they saw or felt during the quarantine. But Both knew that the other was constantly thinking about it. Vanell could always see it in her brother's eyes. She saw the same scene replaying over and over across those eyes. And then everything would become cold the emotion would radiate from him raw hatred hate is not a fire it is very very cold sometimes ash would force her to spar with him so that she might fight alongside him to avenge their parents but each time he would give up on her when her physical limits fell much shorter than he expected of her she just couldn't do it she just wasn't strong they had moved homes often at first using everything left behind in one abode then moving to the next They had been in their current shelter for over two years now. It had two bedrooms, an outhouse, and most importantly, a roof. The glass from the windows was long gone, which made it hot in the summer and cold in the winter, but they had little other choice. Moss grew between cracks in the stone walls, and grains of salt left behind from the humid night air clung to nearly every surface. They had used up the last of the oil in the city years ago, so nights were always dark unless they lit a fire. It had been 12 years since the quarantine. Twelve years they had been isolated here, but Vanel knew their time in the ruins was coming to an end. Ash had come back from the salt woods, empty-handed for almost a week now, and the last of the garden swash was boiling over the fire. His hall today would determine their fate. The thought kept repeating itself in her mind, growing louder and more forceful as she heard Ash's footsteps approaching the front door. She tried to swallow her anxiety. She tried to look like she was thinking about something else as the door slowly opened and shut behind her brother. Ashton even look at her as he entered. He went straight to the fire and began poking the coals around. He finally took a seat next to her before removing his boots. He kept his eyes fixed on the fire. He sighed, what? now quickly shook her head and tried to concentrate on the tunic she was mending. She cursed quietly but under her breath after accidentally jabbing her fingertip with the needle. She placed her finger to her lips. The metallic taste of her own blood filled her senses and she instantly recoiled. It's long overdue, Ash said, in his usual brooding tone. We have to move on. Don't worry about packing until morning. And try not to bring too much. Ash stood and made his way to his bedroom. He had nothing left to say to her. The fire hissed as the pot of water she had been boiling began to spill over. She moved the pot off the fire and sat alone in the growing darkness. This lonely, gray fog may yet begin to lift. For so long, she had been afraid of leaving and terrified of what could be out there, beyond the small world that she and Ash had built. She never realized that instead there may be color out there, bright, beautiful colors that she had yet to experience. Anything had to be better than being trapped in this shell of an existence, this icy fortress. Anything, bad or good, was better than years of nothing. She remained in the ruins because she was too afraid to be without Ash. His insistence on staying in Ken had made him feel like her captor at times, but now he was her escape. The next dawn brought warm, spreading hope. She ignored Ash's advice and packed the night before. She was ready to step out into the real world after being trapped in the shadows for far too long. She yearned to know how much the country had changed, or if anyone would even know of the disaster in Ken. It wasn't until the previous night she had even felt hopeful about leaving since she had been too preoccupied fretting over her old promise to her brother. Now it seemed that new doors were opening all around her. The early sun cast a golden glow upon the forest, making it seem much more inviting than usual. Ash stood waiting for her just beyond the ruins of the city wall. He set out on a path straight into the saltwoods as he saw her approaching. She quickly followed at his heels. They first had to cross the meadow where they and the other children of kin used to play echoes of their voices still rung in Vanel's ears ash marched on the most direct route to the forest even if it meant mercilessly trampling all the flowers and the meadow vanell did her best to avoid crushing the delicate things vanell had only ever ventured into the salt woods after the flood a handful of times when ash brought her with him to hunt even then she had never traveled very deep into the labyrinth of trees All the stories she was told as a child of its danger must have really stuck with her. She hated going into the forest. She always felt like an unwelcome intruder, but the saltwoods were full of life this early in the day. Birds sang to each other high up in the trees, and the buzz of the insects passed by her ears from time to time. Although the light was blinding atop the trees, little sunlight filtered through to the forest floor. The shade was broken up by patches of light that made it through the leaves, casting speckled shadows over her and ash. It was an odd forest. The salty sea air made the trees dry. Unlike the rainy forest to the east, the vegetation appeared in washed-out color. The trees were tall and skinny, with brittle bark and brown leaves. Many of the leaves had already fallen for the year, even though summer was not even halfway over. It didn't feel like she was finally leaving Ken forever, although she knew she was. She didn't even look back as she walked away. No matter the outcome of their search, she knew that she would never return to this place. They were only a few miles deep into the woods when Vanelle saw a tree with knotted branches and thick white bark. Its pattern was identical to all the other trees of the saltwoods, but Vanelle still recognized it immediately. Something deep within its bark seemed to recognize her as well. Its roots rose from the ground, gnarled and ancient. She ran her fingers over a dark stain on the bark, a stain she left. She grasped her scarred side, still able to feel the burning pain of her broken bones. By evening, the forest grew silent. The quiet was eerie, like something was stealthily planning an attack. It made sleep difficult. Vanelle listened intently for the rustle of branches or the vibrations of approaching footsteps, but there was nothing. It was completely dark in the woods except for the campfire Ash had built. She kept fretting that the light would bring unwanted attention from whatever lurked in the depths of the salt woods. How long until we reach the nearest city, she asked Ash in a hushed voice. She knew that his answer would be made with the assumption that all the cities and towns they had known twelve years ago were still in existence. She also knew that the flood had destroyed the road that led from Ken to Barden. All they could do was keep walking east. He only shrugged in response. It seemed so stupid to her that they could have left Ken years ago. They could have gone to Barden right after the flood and gotten help and tried to live normal lives. Maybe it could never have been so, for her brother's deepest desire was to exact revenge on the ruler of the country. Perhaps they would have been immediately killed if it was re- revealed that they were survivors of Ken, for the king obviously wanted everyone there dead. But she knew in her bones that the real reason she and Ash never left Ken was that they could never have gone back to the blissful mundane of everyday life. Something in the hearts of the Keownos had changed forever. I think we're being followed, Ash finally whispered to her from where he lay in his pile of blankets on the other side of the campfire. I felt eyes on me all day, and every time I look behind us, it's as if something had just moved. Vanell hadn't felt anything of the sort. She agreed with her brother anyway, for there was no sense in arguing with him when he was sure he was right. He would just make her feel stupid until she gave in. There wasn't anything they could do if someone chose to follow them. If they were prey in the black of the night, then they were certainly defenseless. No amount of Ash's rigorous training could make him see in the dark. Vivid dreams always gave her the most restless sleep. She dreamed of the woods that separated Snaka from Valhutin, the muddy paths of the Orcane Forest, surrounded by vivid green life. It was there she would meet with the prince. He said he was the crown prince of Snaka. His name was Aconite, and he had been tall and handsome. His voice soothed her, and his kindness warmed her frozen heart. She dreamed of soft white moonlight upon his smiling face. His concern for her touched her, but she still shied away. Then his face faded away and she was in Ken before the quarantine. She could taste the salty air as she looked out over the sea from their home. Four small residents were below them, and at least three on either side. At the top of the building, she could see over the great wall and gaze out upon the horizon. It was bright, brighter still with the reflection of the sun off the white wall and the water. She blinked and looked for her parents, but only skeletons walked through her house. There was only two at first smiling through fleshless mouths but then they doubled soon there were so many skeletons they were spilling out of the windows and falling five stories down Vanelle felt completely unrested when she awoke in the morning her dream of the orcane forest was one she had seen many nights before but the turn to the dead and the kin was a new nightmare ash looked like he had sat up wide-eyed the entire night yet he was on his feet and ready for travel before she was she felt so discouraged knowing entirely too well that she was slowing her brother's progress. She was constantly lagging behind him and had to stop to eat and rest twice as much as he did. Throughout the day, Ash kept muttering to himself about them being followed. It must have been midday when she found herself deeper into the forest than she had ever been. It was surprisingly bright. Much of the sunlight was able to reach the forest floor and cast a radiant glow upon everything it touched. Birds were soaring over their heads, chirping louder and louder as they pressed on. A small stream ran through the clearing that they had come upon. Thinking nothing of the new surroundings, the Kianios crossed the threshold. It seemed as though all the life in the forest fell silent the moment Ash's boot touched that stream. Ash looked around suspiciously. His hand was steadily placed at the hilt of his sword as his icy blue eyes carefully scanned the forest all around him. The wind mysteriously picked up, carrying leaves in its invisible current. At the far edge of the clearing, directly in the sibling's path, stood a young woman. She was the first human either had seen besides each other for more than a decade. Ash stopped dead in his tracks while Vanelle carelessly kept walking forward. She had forgotten about danger and evil. Her heart was too excited by the notion of interacting with another person. As she drew closer, the other woman suddenly unsheathed two knives and readied herself to attack. Bunnell quickly stopped and put her hands up. She looked to her brother for direction, but he remained focused on the woman before them. She wore rough-spun clothes of a loose weave. The top was sleeveless and ended above her belly button, while the bottom only covered her to mid-thigh, less than even Vanell's undergarments. The exposed skin across her body was patterned with tan and pale patches, even on her face. A brown pelt was wrapped around her shoulders, while a thick leather belt hung diagonally from her left hip to right thigh. Knotted flaxen hair was tightly pulled back on either side of her head, Stop where you stand, miserable curs. Are you some of Cross? She barked out in a husky voice that seemed so strange to be coming from her petite frame. She accusingly pointed one of her daggers at the Keanos. Ash spat with anger. No, we would never follow that tyrant. Oh, then what are you doing so near to the garrison? Just taking a casual stroll? She asked facetiously, while nonchalantly spinning one dagger around her hand, then catching it again on the hilt. She let out an animalistic growl from deep in her throat and then lunged at Vanel. She covered so much ground in a blink of an eye. Vanel quickly, though not gracefully, ducked out of her way. The woman turned her attack onto ash. He drew his short sword and skillfully blocked many of her attacks, though he never had the opportunity to strike as he was far too busy trying to defend himself. She was lightning fast. Vanel could barely see her moving. The woman's eyes were flooded with bloodless, making them narrow and cat-like. We're survivors of kin, Vanel suddenly shouted out loud. The woman immediately stopped her attack to look Vanell's way. Ash Ash took the opportunity to trip her and pin her to the ground with his blade pointed at her throat. The sharp edge ever so slightly grazed the flesh on her neck, causing a small trickle of blood to ooze from the wound and trickle down to her chest. The woman lifted a single hand to the cut and wiped away the blood, revealing that the wound had sealed itself in a matter of seconds. Vanell thought her eyes were playing tricks on her at first, but she could plainly see that there was no longer any mark on the woman's skin. Ash stared at the woman, completely bewildered. She angrily grabbed onto his sword and pushed it away from her. She looked angrier that he had bested her than worried about her life being in danger. Vanell could see the truth in her eyes. The two siblings were no threat to her. She bared her teeth and hissed at Ash, I am no fool, there was only one who survived Cross Massacre. The air, the air around them was suddenly pierced by an incredibly high-pitched whistling. Ash and Vanell both dropped to the ground helplessly with their hands covering their ears. The woman got to her feet and dusted the dirt off her clothing. In the same place they had seen her so suddenly appear, another figure emerged. It must have been a man, but the enrobed entity was over seven feet tall. He kept his head lowered, that the hood of his dark blue cloak concealed his face. He approached the Chianos slowly. It felt as though it took him forever to reach the spot before them, and the air became thick and stagnant. He raised his head slightly, and they saw that a white porcelain mask with a painted face upon it covered his real one. Vanel felt his gaze wash all over her entire being, looking into her soul and most distant memories. She felt as though she was re-experiencing all the visions that played across her eyes. Relief warmed her as his gaze turned to her brother. The look on Ash's face told her that he experienced the same phenomena she had. He finally came to rest near the young woman, whose chest was heaving with the adrenaline of the earlier battle. She remained focused on him, waiting for him to give her an answer or an instruction. Vanel felt her spine prickle. The omnipotent presence he spread was all-consuming. It was experiencing both fear and awe simultaneously. Her legs trembled, but tears of joy sprung into her eyes. His voice boomed so deeply it seemed to echo across all the saltwoods in all directions. This is Nalahi Dane. She's more like you than you know. She also lived in Ken 12 years ago.
1: All right, you made it through the chapter. Thank God. (laughs) It was a lot harder than I thought. (laughs) It's funny sometimes how it's like... Your brain is reading it faster than your mouth can actually pronounce the words, and you start getting tongue-tied, and you're like, I swear I'm not dumb. I know how to (laughs) read. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That and the making sure I'm pronouncing words the same way that you pronounce them, so they're correct. Right. And I mean, since I made them up, it's whatever I say. But, you know, (laughs) if we actually follow rules of the English language, I could 100% be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I think we did a lot of stops where it was just like, wait,
0: wait, how do you pronounce this? Because it's not how I pronounce it. Yeah.
1: Um, I guess something I did want to kind of mention is there's a lot of landscapes and areas in this book that are maybe not based off of, but definitely inspired by real life places. And for me, the the Saltwoods is definitely based off the eucalyptus forest near Santa Cruz, that kind of. You don't get a lot of uh coastal forest that way, you know, mm-hmm. and um, just to have it be kind of drier and just something different to it than just the typical like pine or misty forest that you get other places and books is um, yeah. you know, I, I just wanted it to match with something a little mm-hmm. different, yeah, I think it fits in really well. And like that is like a place to me that's always stood out, I mean, it has. Have you been there? No, I was just thinking that I've never been there. So like, you just get out of the car and you just smell eucalyptus, really? like fresh eucalyptus. And yeah. It's, but you still get like, I mean, yeah, it gets warmer in summer, but there's like a lot of time that cool coastal air. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very unique place. Because I don't, you know, clearly that's not uh, native to that area. Yeah. Since eucalyptus is not from California. True. <laughs> true. But it's still quite the sight to see. Yeah. I just I always compare Salt Lake to where we grew up. Like, Canyon, even though i know it's not sure like coastal but like so we'll talk about that uh next week when is here mm-hmm. um and we'll be reading about uh, the godsmores mm-hmm. but that is what's based oh. off of butte county in and screen. that and there yeah. you can tell because yeah. man i mean i consider all of godsmores. it <laughs> i like what you did there <laughs> uh. okay. not like the closest Comparison. I think I actually posted on my Instagram once on my author page was mm-hmm. um, using a picture of Table Mountain.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, As like yeah. the background yeah. for the cosmos. I do remember that because mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like you know the old English like no hills and stuff. But yeah, like a little more like rocky. Yeah. But still like beautiful wildflowers and mm-hmm. still yeah,
0: which is what magical. Table Mountain is.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll find out how far out this uh, goes go what's table
1: Mountain? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. now we're gonna get there's gonna be so many more tourists there now <laughs> um so what did you think of the chapter
0: it made me very hopeful for Vanelle and getting letting her like see the world and getting out and like you can just it's like you can hear it in her like her voice you know mm-hmm. even though it's a book, but like you know you still hear it like that she has got such hope renewed for, of the everything went from everything's gray to the yeah. colors, the sounds, the birds, definitely the greenness, like the sun shining through, and just her hope renewed for
1: a new life. No, yeah, she probably hasn't even had or thought of for a long time. No, because of her brother. And you know, while she is still with him and around him, and kind of subject to whatever the hell he feels like. It still is a different situation Um, getting out of isolation with an abuser mm-hmm. than being completely alone with them. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they start kind of losing their power, and you do see – sometimes you can start seeing who they really are when other people are around, like, because you have that comparison instead of just, like, this is the way everything is. Yeah. Well, I think also just, like, losing sight of, like, hope
0: for another life out there. Mm-hmm. Like, she became so conditioned and just, like, this is it. You know, 12 years with him, like, this is it, this is all we, you know, this is my life. And then for a minute just seeing a glimpse of hope, and she's just like, there's a whole other world. Things can be
1: different. Yeah,
0: like, everything, there's people, like, we could have done this, and realizing we could have left so long ago. Yeah. That she could have left so long ago.
1: Yeah. At the end of this chapter, we're introduced to Nalahi Dane, and consequently Aldrion, so, why don't you tell me, what was your first impressions of these characters?
0: Well, not a lot. Gosh, her name. <laughs> not a like I definitely see her as, like, like just a warrior, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, she's someone that I think off the bat, you think, oh my god, she's alone, she's a badass. She can fight for herself, she doesn't need nobody. And <laughs> then Algeon comes, and I don't know about you, I see him as, like, a Merlin. Sure, yeah. Like, that's, I don't know, I've always been super into Arthur and the Merlin and things. Mm-hmm. I think Well, like you. And, yeah, like, I see him, like, because he just comes out of nowhere, like vanel says. Like, kind of an all-knowing. All-knowing, and, like, going through the visions. Yeah, definitely. Like, he, like, figured them out, went through their memories and stuff, and that is definitely, to me, like, a Merlin who's, like, good, but also, like, mysterious. And you don't really, like, know. All you know is you don't fuck with him yeah like and he
1: knows you like (laughs) and that not not like he is like she's from ken too yeah that's what i was gonna point out was that she's from the same background and as far as we know now went through the same tragedy Mm -hmm. and it's obviously ended up in a very different position than you know our other female character that Mm -hmm. we've known up until now
0: yeah yeah she's definitely uh, force to be reckoned with, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially with, like, her knife skills and her, like, I guess as we would say now, like, st- her street smarts. Kind of, Yeah. She's I, always I on the, like, defense. real world. She's kinda. on the defense, always, mm-hmm. like, and just all, like, aggression and just, like, what
1: kind of thing? Like, <laughs> what'd
0: you say? She's kind like, of like, who?
1: if you could say a medieval ghetto side to her. She
0: does! <laughs> I really see that.
1: Like, if she knew this clap back or snap back, she would. So I think the other thing about Nalahi to point out is there's a few other interesting things with her showing up is, you know, maybe the mention of cat-like eyes and her wound healing immediately. So it feels like she's not a normal human.
0: Because when you said, like, when the red eye thing, it, with the cat eye, it made me think of, like, is it, like, is this, like, what the red is? Because we haven't fully explained Totally
1: in-depth. Yeah, you, you only know? see one scene of it, really. Somehow. Yeah, so it's like,
0: it makes you think, like, oh, is is she, like, the woman version of the sure, red? Sure, maybe. Yeah, maybe or is she just, like,
1: a different, like, native group? Because she is from Kin. Kin, yeah. And they were there trying to clear out the red, so. Who knows? Who knows? I mm. don't know. Mm-hmm. Good speculation. Yeah. <laughs> All right, do you have anything else you want to say to wrap it up? up. Valhutin, oh, oh, like so t- Schnacka like, <that-> of Valhutin. Yeah, We're your They're like, not from Valhutin. They're from Schnacka. Schnacka of Valhutin. All the Ukon's are from Schnacka. The Schnacks are from Schnacka. Schnacka. Schnacka Valhutin. thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for a mission. Getting through that. It's not easy to record. Really not. I thought it was. It's not. Nope. Um. So yeah, cheers. Clink cheers. that white claw clan girl. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so join me next week for chapter four. Uh, I will have another guest that will be Eli Hostetler, my younger brother, will be reading the first chapter we're introduced to the character Minor Tie. So, tune in next week. It'll be great. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Be there, be square. <music> barbecue sauce on my titties. (laughs)